This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Hi, everybody. Cheryl Kay from Unleashed. And today I'm honored to have Cynthia Brannigan. And we're going to talk about her new book, The Last Diving Horse in America. And it's very interesting. And we're going to talk all about it. You're not going to believe it. Hi, Cynthia. Welcome. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. So this book, I did a lot of research on this event. And it's absolutely amazing. And thank God for PETA that came along in, I guess, the 80s, because this started when in the uh, 1890s, right? 1894. Amazing. Why don't you tell our listeners what this actually was? Diving horses were invented by, if you want to call it invented, were devised by a man named Doc Carver. He was also a part-time dentist and a part-time sharpshooter. He traveled for a time with Buffalo Bill and his uh, Wild West show, but then he branched out on his own, but he needed some kind of a hook, something that no one had ever seen before. And he was trying to come up with something. And what he lit upon was horses that would dive into water, because that's not two things you typically associate with each other. So he started off with uh, low ramps into a small tub of water. And eventually, uh, the most they ever dived was 60 feet, but typically it was 40 feet into 10 feet of water. They would go up a ramp and then jump. In 1906, he thought the act would even be more interesting if a so-called bathing beauty was on the horse's back. So the two of them would take the plunge together. I've seen pictures. They were really diving these horses. It wasn't just belly flops. They actually, I mean, I don't know how we trained them, but it looked like their hoofs were out like in a dive. It's absolutely true. And not all the horses that he bought made the cut. Some of them didn't like water. They could have been very athletic and fearless in other ways, but it was crucial that the horse liked water and the ones who made it did. And they would absolutely of their own free will, jump off the top of the ramp. It's amazing. And this was before they landed in Atlantic City. This was a traveling show. I mean, yes, to set this up, to set up the ramp and the pool while you're traveling from town to town, these little shows, it's amazing. It was a major operation. They traveled typically by railroad and the diving horses would have their own car and they would not be part of a carnival. They would be a separate act. They would show up at a fairgrounds or something, and they would be the main and only attraction. At its height, there were two troops of horses, one east of the Mississippi and one west of the Mississippi, but they also went into Canada and Mexico with the act. Now, now in reading, you did witness this. You saw this? I saw it once when I was 11 years old. As I wrote about in the book, that was the year of the Democrat convention in Atlantic City. My father was associated with the state government in New Jersey, so he had to go down. So he took my mother and me along for the ride. And while he was busy doing his work, 
you know, we took in the sights of Atlantic City. It wasn't our typical seaside resort, but, you know, we tried it. And um, after the, that night, it was kind of a mesmerizing night for me because 1964, the Beatles were just hitting their stride. The uh, movie A Hard Day's Night had just come out. I was, a, as they were known, a Beatle maniac at the time. You know, boys started to be kind of interesting to me, thanks to the Beatles. And um, I was dying to see that movie, A Hard Day's Night, which was playing on the steel pier. So I did see it, but fell asleep during the movie. But after it was over, my mother suggested we go back to the hotel. And then I remembered the signs for the diving horses. And as an animal lover, I wanted to get close to any kind of animal I could. So I insisted we go down to the very far end of the pier and see the horses. And um, it was only one horse at a time. And they would perform about six, six times a day. This happened to be the very last show of the day. So it was nighttime. The lights were on. I think I had sunstroke at the time from being on the beach all day. And the um, there was something about that carnival-like atmosphere and the waves crashing on the pier. Then they turned off all the lights except for one spotlight on the horse. And he ran up the ramp. The woman jumped on him and he didn't jump immediately. And it wasn't because he was afraid or trembling or anything of that. He was just taking his time, and looked at the crowd, looked at the ocean. And then without warning, he took off. And the act itself only lasted 30 seconds, 45 seconds. I mean, you know, gravity, it, it doesn't take that long to go 40 feet. But there was something about it that was mesmerizing to me. I was afraid. I was worried what's going to happen to the horse. To be honest, I didn't think too much about what's going to happen to the woman, but I did worry about the horse. But he did make it. So did she. They got out of the tank. An old lady was there and she fed the horse as many carrots as he wanted. And um, there was just something about that that affected me deeply. And I had no idea what it meant at the time. But over the years, as I thought it over, I always would come back to that image of the horse in midair and what did it mean? So you've been thinking about writing this book for many years. Yes, yes. Now, I know the some of the horses, you know, did get hurt there. You know, they have very fragile legs, but a lot of the riders got hurt. And I, I remember reading an article that the woman would put her body to the side because they were, you know, the horse normally when it hits the bottom, just like if we were to jump into the water, our feet hit and we go up. And because of the horse would rear its head, maybe break a nose, break an arm. But mainly the women, if anybody was hurt, they were the ones that did get hurt. They did. And um, the most famous one was a woman named Sonora. Well, she took the last name of Carver. She wasn't really a Carver, but, you know, it was part of the act, like the flying Wallendas, that same sort of thing. And um, one time when she went into the tank, she didn't close her eyes fast enough and it detached her retinas. And gradually over the next couple of months, she was re-injured again. And after that, she was blind for the rest of her life. But the kicker, so to speak, is she kept diving. She said it was the thing she liked to do more than anything on earth. And she continued for a 
probably another 15 years. And she died at 99. Yes, she did. And there were some others. They all wound up separately, but in various nursing homes in New Jersey. Another one lived to be, I think, maybe 102. And there was another woman with the surname of Carver who lived to be 88. I know after his real name was Bill or William, but after Doc Carver died, his son then took over for a while. And I thought I thought I read that he married Sonora. I'm sure you did read that. And in fact, it isn't true. Um, I did lots and lots of research on this. His real name was Albert Floyd. His last name was Floyd. And in old newspaper articles, he's always referred to as Al or Albert Floyd. And he was the manager of the act. But after Doc Carver died, he took the last name of Carver. He married Sonora Webster. And she called herself Sonora Webster Carver. She was on, her horse was Red Lips, right? Yes. Yeah, because I had two detached retinas. So, I mean, wow. not wood, I'm not blind. I, I have one decent eye and one eh. But that is amazing that she was still able to do that. Because, you know, when you don't have your sight, although I guess she relied on the horse to do his thing. Yes. That she landed where she landed. How did the horses get out of these pools? There was a ramp inside the tank, a wooden ramp with um, wooden crossbars, so they would just walk out. Now, in writing this book, we have come to the point in recent times that we realize that animals do much, much more for us than we ever thought, and especially horses. And you wrote in the book because you actually bought the last diving horse, correct? Yes, I bought him at a uh, horse auction. And that was, am I saying it right, Gamel? Gamel? Gamel. Gamel. Um, And that was in May of 1980. The act was actually closed at the Labor Day, 1978. And the steel pier had been sold to Resorts International. Atlantic City was making that transition to having casino gambling. So Resorts was the first casino. Well, they kind of inherited the steel pier and these three horses, and they had no interest in the horses. You would think a multi-multi-million dollar corporation would have given those horses a retirement, but they didn't. They sold them to an old man who had boarded the horses during the off-season. He, in turn, turned around and sold them immediately, probably made you know $50 or something on each one. One went to another horse auction, and was sold for slaughter. That was the white horse named Powderface. There was a female horse named Shiloh, who was purchased by a woman to be a riding horse. She eventually sold that horse to the Fund for Animals, which is the organization I worked for at the time. Gamal spent one year at a riding camp in Maryland, but then the man at the riding camp thought, gee, this is an quite an old horse. Um, when I bought him, he was 26 years old, and I don't think uh, he was really suitable for riding. And then he realized, gee, Maybe I can make some money off of this. And he made a lot of money because on the open market, well, I know some of what they call the slaughterhouse buyers were at the auction and they started bidding on him 
on Gamal at the beginning. But when it reached $500, $600, they dropped out because they knew selling him for meat, they would not even make back what they spent. So you could say he was worth, hate to put it in those terms, but that's what he was worth, five or $600. But to somebody who would love him, he'd be worth more. Oh, um, inestimable, really. But he was, the Fund for Animals gave me a blank check and I wound up paying $2,600. So the man with the camp, with the summer camp, made out like a bandit. But I would like to think that Gamal made out too, because I gave him anything he wanted for the rest of his life. And I really find that a lot of animals who get adopted second, third, or fourth time, the rest of their life seems to be the best part of their life that they really end up with, see the attitude that you have, you give them anything they want. That's what these animals deserve. Because maybe you knew a little bit about him because of the diving. But you know, when we rescue these dogs and cats from shelters, we really know nothing. You know, sometimes if it's an owner surrender, you know, a little bit, but we don't really know what they went through. So I like that what you just said anything he wanted. But I remember reading in an excerpt that when asked what impression, you said he was shrewd and adaptable. Now, he also was a barrel horse, right? Barrel racing, yes. He was athletic, for sure. He was athletic and he was a risk taker, certainly in a way I would never be. I would never be one of those women on the back of the horse. I mean, nothing could persuade me to do that for a living or for fun. Some people think that's fun to jump jump off of a diving board. I'm not one of them, but he did. He actually did. And yes, he did the barrel racing in Texas and then was with a rodeo for a while. So he was, definitely was athletic. And when you got him, was his spirit still there or you had to love him up to get it out? I had to love him up to get some of it out. When I said that he was shrewd, he definitely was. You know, he was like, you could almost see his mind working, sizing people up. Is this somebody I can take advantage of? Because he wasn't beyond that. Why not? You know, taking advantage. Or is this someone who knows what they're doing and I should probably comply? I fell into the category of someone who could be taken advantage of. I was not a horse person. I just was someone who loved horses from a child and from a distance. But I learned and he seemed to know when I was getting more confidence and then he would trust me more. So it was a symbiotic relationship. Now, horses, really the key with horses. I mean, I used to ride when I was younger and I never owned a horse. But the one thing that I've always heard by people who have horses or read about is they have to trust you. And once they trust you, they'll try to do what you want. If it's, you know, you see all these horses in these Olympic sports and racing, and it's just key with animals that they have to learn to trust us. We have to earn their trust is really. Yes, I was going to say we do have to earn it. And sadly, sometimes animals their trust is misplaced. Some people, you know, don't live up to the bargain. Many people. But the one thing about a dog, even a mistreated dog, when you get them, they can wag their tail again. They have hope. 
Yes. I just think that we have so much to learn from all the different animals. It's not dogs, cats, horses, goats. They are really part of a family now. Many people live with them on a day-to-day basis. And many people have more than one dog. I'm among them. (laughs) How many do you have? I have many. I They're all greyhounds. And all of the ones I have, well, I run a greyhound adoption group, but all of the ones I have are ones that have uh, physical problems or kind of emotional, we'll say emotional problems. And I mean, I know how to handle them and they're happy here. So I have a lot. My friends had, had greyhounds. I mean, they're couch potatoes, but unless they get out, you know, they say that, you know, you'd have to have a fenced in yard. Because they'll mm-hmm. run forever, correct? They definitely will. And if you run after them to catch them, they'll think you're chasing them and they'll run even faster. So it's you have to have good gates and locks on the gates and things like that. On the other hand, if you walk them on lead, they are very gentle and just go right by your side. So it's not like they're uh, you know wild and untamed. They aren't, but they are really programmed to run. But my friend who had them, they were just couch potatoes. They just laid around all day and looked pretty. You're in Florida, aren't you? Yes. Um, yeah. See, that was the problem when they uh, stopped the dog racing. They didn't know what to do with, what was it, like five or 6,000 of these dogs. Yes. It ended there on New Year's Eve 2020. Yep. Thank and God. now it's gone. It really is. a. It was cruel. I think that halted it for a couple of years because they didn't know what to do they needed to be adopted, plus all the other strays that we have. That's true. They were competing with other dogs for homes. They're good in a pair. I've had friends who have rescued them and they're good together. Like if you got two of them. They prefer it, actually. They're just beautiful dogs. I know you wrote a book about rescuing greyhounds and you you were involved with uh, Cleveland Emery, right? Emery, yes, I was. He was the founder of the Fund for Animals. It's a group that long has since merged with the Humane Society of the United States. After he died, it merged with them. But um, he founded the Fund for Animals in 1967. And then I met him in 1971. He gave a lecture that I attended in Philadelphia. And he said at the end of his talk, if anyone wants to volunteer, I couldn't believe it. He wanted help. So I didn't have any particular skills other than love of animals, but I wanted to help and he took me on. That's wonderful. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back with my guest, Cynthia Brannigan. Does your pet's breath leave a bit or a lot to be desired? You can give your pet the gift of sweeter breath and you'll get sweeter kisses with Probiora Pet. That breath is the result of harmful bacteria which lives in your pet's mouth. And that harmful bacteria can lead to serious health problems. The solution is to crowd out that bad bacteria with positive bacteria. All it takes is one scoop a day of Probiora Pet mixed into their food to replenish the good bacteria. That's it! This all-natural, no-taste, no-odor powder is the only dental care probiotic for pets which delivers beneficial bacteria which supports tooth and gum health and crowds out the bad. A healthy body starts with a healthy mouth and Probiora Pet is the best way to give your pet a healthy mouth. 
and our listeners get a 10% discount using PLR10 at checkout. To purchase, go to probiorahealth.com. That's probiorahealth.com and use code PLR10 at checkout for 10% off. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets on Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. <laughs> We're back, and we're talking today to Cynthia Brannigan. We've been talking about her book, The Last Diving Horse in America. And uh, right now, we're talking about your rescue. You've done thousands of them. I mean, the Mustangs, Burrows, and that's amazing. Even some goats and pigs. This is all while I was working for the Fund for Animals. It's terrific. And then since then, it's all been greyhounds, primarily. Yeah. Well, next we have to do racing horses because, I mean, it's the greatest two minutes in sports I know, but my mouth is always in my throat, my stomach, because, you know, we haven't had one. I don't want to poo-poo it, but they got really thin legs. So They do, and they start racing them before their bones are fully formed. And that's a problem that makes them more prone to breaking. I always say that with dog racing or greyhound racing, if they break a leg, God forbid, 95% of the time or more, the leg can be set. And that's it. I mean, that might not look beautiful, but the dog lives. But if a horse breaks its leg, that's the end. Yeah. And just like with the giraffes in the zoos lately, their ankles been giving out. Hmm, I haven't heard that. Yeah. They made a shoe for one. That's what happened to that April and another giraffe. They uh, molded like a, a shoe to keep the ankle or the shin and it broke and it wasn't repairable. So they had to put it down and they run really fast too. Yeah, they do. I mean, they're just so tall. It, it's just amazing. It really well, is. camels, too. They have camel racing, I believe, in the Middle East. Yeah, they go fast, too. And and uh, those birds. What are those birds? Ostriches? Yes. Oh, man, they're fast. <laughs> oh, geez. They're oh, just so my. weird looking, you know? Yeah. I uh, watched a video, and she raises them, or she takes them in. And once they start flapping their wings, and they could grow to nine feet tall. But they are also very fast. I think they go 40 miles an hour. That's pretty fast. I can't run that fast. No, no. (laughs) So I want to just go back to your rescue. Now, what is it? Make Peace with Animals was the group that you had or do have now? That is my Greyhound adoption group. And we're an all-volunteer group and we don't have a kennel. We rely on people to foster the dogs, to take them in until we find permanent homes. Um, When I founded it in 1988, there were greyhound tracks all over the country. It was the sixth most popular spectator sport in the country. And uh, New England, um, they were just loaded with dogs and they were meeting unpleasant fates. Um, That's a euphemism um, when they were finished racing. And For reasons I really don't understand, the racing industry did not push adoption. A couple of them had adoption centers at the tracks, but, you know, there was no like real effort. Like, let's, if we're going to make money from them, it's incumbent upon us to find homes for them. And when I adopted my first Greyhound in 1987, 
I didn't know about greyhounds and I figured nobody else did either. So I wrote that book, Adopting the Racing Greyhound, because what I learned, I put into book form. And also I wanted people to know these are fantastic pets. You maybe ought to think about them when you're considering adopting a dog. Right. I don't know if they're in in a lot of shelters. Yes. But um, the tables have turned now. And because there's only three full-time tracks in the entire country, there are now more people who want to adopt greyhounds than there are dogs available for adoption. And how, if somebody listening would want to adopt a greyhound, how would they go about it? Well, there is a website called adopt-a- Greyhound. And that lists all the adoption groups in the country. However, a lot of those groups are closing because they no longer have access to dogs. Like in Florida, it's actually very hard to find a greyhound. The tracks, two are in West Virginia and one is in West Memphis, Arkansas, across the river from Memphis, Tennessee. If you live near any of those three places, you should be able to get one. We have a good relationship with the woman at one of the two tracks in West Virginia. So we still get them. And I kind of feel bad because I really, for years, encouraged people to adopt a greyhound. And now I get repeat adopters wanting, you know, my dog just died. I would like to get another. And I have to tell them you can, but you're going to have to wait. Right. How old was Gamel when he passed away? Well, he and I were the same age. So let's see. We were both 26 when we met and um, I had him for nine years. So he was 35. That's pretty good. It is good. Never long enough. And it was an accident. He was having fun in the pasture with the two horses he was boarded with. And he was apparently kicked in the jaw. And that's not something they can fix, not when the bone is shattered. So it's hard to think about it even now, because who knows how long he would have lived. And I know he had to go eventually, but it's very hard, very hard, very sad. Yeah. You know, especially that all that he represented and he was such a trooper, really. Yes. Um, I just have to concentrate on the fact that he had a good time. I don't think he remembered those years. And I don't, if he did, he didn't dwell on it. He was in the moment the way maybe we should be as well. That's true. That's true. I really thank you for being here. It's very interesting. I did a lot of reading on this because I had heard about it, but I never really saw it. And the pictures are amazing. So when our listeners get the book, I think it's the white horse on the cover, correct? Yes. That's the horse because that horse is diving. Really diving. Absolutely. Yeah. It's just amazing. And um, I want to really thank you. And I'd like to have you back to talk about the book on the Greyhounds. I'd be happy to. uh, That's something we could think about. I want to thank my producer, Mark. I want to thank my listeners. And I want to remind you to live life unleashed. Thank you, everybody. Till next time. Let's Talk Pets. Every week on demand. Only on PetLifeRadio.com.